1: These times of intense political polarization, civic despair is rampant. How does this downheartedness affect our democracy and how can we counteract this apathy? Our guest today, Sam Daly harris has been working tirelessly to provide trainings for ordinary citizens to empower effective citizen political action. He has many suggestions and experience in working with how we can be most effective in reshaping the issues we most care about. Sam Daly harris is the founder of Results and Results Educational Fund. Results is an international grassroots citizens lobby committed to healing the break between people and government and creating the political will to end hunger and the worst aspects of poverty. He is the director of Results Educational Fund's largest project, the Microcredit Summit, a campaign to reach 100 million of the world's poorest families, especially the women of those families, with credit, for self employment and other financial and business services. He's the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy Healing the Break Between People and Government, the 20th Anniversary Edition. Join us for the next hour as we explore grassroots activism with our guest, Sam Daly Harris. I'm Justine Willis Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Sam, welcome. It's
2: great to be here.
1: It's great to be sitting across from you once more. It's been it's been some years now, and uh, I would like for you to remind our listeners uh, a little bit about your background, how you moved from being a musician to <laughs> a political activist. Well, it's a,
2: a little bit of a strange story, but a fun story. I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in music, And I played percussion instruments in the Miami Philharmonic Orchestra in Florida for 12 years. And then, 37 years ago, I founded the Anti-Poverty Lobby Results. And a lot of times I'm asked, music, poverty lobby, what was that about? And when I look back in my life, there are certain experiences that prompted the shift I graduated from high school in 1964, and played timpani in the orchestra at the graduation. And just before the ceremony, a flute player came back to the percussion section and told me that a high school fraternity brother of mine, a year younger, had died the day before in a tractor trailer accident in Georgia. It was her next door neighbor, so she knew about it before I did. I always say I was 17. When I was 17, mortality was an irrelevant concept. I mean, I thought I had forever. But with the mourning period and the funeral after the funeral, I went with my friend's younger brother to pick up his report card from the homeroom teacher. It began to dawn on me. That maybe I had 17 more minutes or months or years. And the questions of purpose came up at a rather young age. Why am I here? What am I here to do? What's my purpose? No answer. But the question started coming up. Four years later, 1968, college graduation, Robert Kennedy's assassinated right in those days. And it's another one of those what is this life? What is this death? Why am I here? What am I here to do? No answers. But the questions are getting clearer. Nine years later, I always say I'm a little slow. I'm invited to a presentation on ending world hunger put on by the Hunger Project. And I go to this think, thinking, well, hunger's inevitable. What do I know? I'm a musician. Well, it's inevitable because there are no solutions. Because if there were solutions, somebody, would have done something by now. I go to this presentation and it's obvious right away, there's no mystery to growing food or clean water basic health or literacy. I'm not hopeless about the perceived lack of solutions. I'm hopeless about human nature. People will just never get around to doing the things that can be done, but there's one human nature I have some control over, my own, and my question, why am I here, What am I here to do? So I get involved in a big way. This is the end of the story and that sets me on this path. In 1978 and 79, I speak to 7,000 high school students, classroom by classroom by classroom. And before I go into the first classroom, I read some statements from the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, Food, Nutrition Study, and others calling for the political will to end hunger. So I asked 7,000 high school students, what's the name of your member of Congress? I don't want to know if you wrote them. I don't want to know if you met them. Just the name. Out of 7,000 asked, 200 could answer correctly, just uh, a f- a fewer than 3%. 6,800 could not tell me who their congressperson was, just over 97%. Could not. And results grew out of this gap between the calls for the political will to end hunger on the one hand and the lack of basic information on who represented us in Washington on the other. And that was my journey from musician, oddly enough, to activist uh, and now a bit more democracy activist and really working with other organizations to empower their members more effectively than usual.
1: So tell me, what would you consider the, the predicament that we are in today?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, so <laughs> here's, I, I have these quotes I love. Maybe I'll share two of them. There are more after that. But Francis Morla who wrote Diet for a Small Planet many years, 40-something years ago, has a new book, uh, Daring Democracy, uh, said the following in another book. Uh, called uh, Getting a Grip Too. She said, our real problem is not a heating planet or rampant malnutrition. We only have one real problem, our own feelings of powerlessness to manifest the solutions right in front of our noses. So what my work is, is working with organizations to create a structure of support that's strong enough to dissolve The powerlessness. And if I could share one more of these quotes. Yeah, this is from Lawrence Lessig, the Harvard professor working to get money out of politics. It was about two years ago. He said, um, A recent poll found that 96% of Americans want money out of politics, but 91% said it isn't possible. That's the politics of resignation. But the politics of resignation gives us a way forward. If we can find a way to thaw the resignation, we can find a way to winning. So my gig is, with Civic Courage, I coach other organizations in creating structures of support that are, str- uh, that, that are uh, strong enough to thaw the resignation. Or said one other way, if you're in a room of, 30 people launching a chapter of the organization and 15 raise their hand and say I'm in I in what What did the volunteer promise to the organization? And what did the organization promise to the volunteer? Is it something that's inspiring and empowering? Or is it sort of just informational and wonky and a little bit on the boring side? Is it I'm in something powerful or something not that powerful? And I work with groups. And that's my message to the listeners is find an organization that feeds you. Find an organization that takes you from wherever you are, kindergarten to first, third, fifth, twelfth grade and beyond as a citizen. So you don't feel that resignation. Uh, You're breaking out of that resignation. Uh,
1: So let's just back up a little bit. Um, You you mentioned just Briefly in passing, something called Civic Courage. Yes. And uh, that's the name of, that you use on the website that, mm-hmm. that people can go to, yes. civiccourage.org, yes. O-R-G, O-R-G civiccourage.org. And, and so that's you're, you're working within that structure these days. And you said something about, you gave some statistic about money, out of politics, mm-hmm. and how there their huge percentage wants it. And that sounds like that huge percentage is bipartisan.
2: Mm-hmm. You can't have 96% wanting money out of politics without it being Republicans, so independents, Democrats.
1: So we're not talking about that just one group of people want it. You're, we're talking that there's... Yes. There, it's it's across yes. the board. So that's very exciting news. It is
2: very exciting news, but there's a but in there. Okay, With tell the us. bills in Congress... On on overturning Citizens United, that Supreme Court decision from 2011 that said corporations are people and money is speech and corporations and and the wealthy and unions and others can spend as much money as they want.
1: When that decision came down, Mm -hmm. to me, it seems like to say corporations are people— I just remember years ago when we were doing interviews with uh, Buckminster Fuller, Mm -hmm. Bucky Fuller. He used to say, "Don't worry about your enemies; they'll die off someday." Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. he was what he was trying to say is, "Don't spend your energy trying to resist them, but go for what it is that you Mm -hmm. know is yours to do." Is Mm -hmm. what he was trying to Mm -hmm. say when he was saying that. And when I heard about Citizens um, United United. and and the Supreme Court decision, I thought, wait a minute. Corporations don't necessarily die off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they can live forever. They are not mortal like human beings. Mm-hmm. How can you say yes. that they are a person yes. and they have yes. personhood? So that was the my yeah. first objection yeah. to that that yeah. just se- seems so logical. Yeah. So I, d- I didn't mean to interrupt it, you. But,
2: I'm going to finish that. But the book, Bucky Fuller quote that I love was when he said, the things to do are— the things that need doing that you see need to be done and that no one else seems to see needs to be done. And when I asked 7,000 students who's your congressman and fewer than 3% could answer, and I read these quotes calling for the political will than hunger, I saw something that needed doing, this healing between people and government that not many people saw at that time. So going back to the money and politics, with 96% want money out of politics, but 91% think it isn't possible. That's our predicament. And uh, one of the groups I work with is American Promise, working to get money out of politics. And one of the things, they're they're not quite two years old. Uh, They've got about 18 chapters around the country started this year. Uh, But what's really interesting about it is they've seen, obviously, that of all the bills in Congress to overturn Citizens United... There's only one Republican co-sponsor.
1: Let's talk more about that in yes. just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Sam Daly Harris. He spells his last name D-A-L-E-Y hyphen Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. He's the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy, Healing the Break Between People and Government. And if you want to know more about him, go to his website, civiccourage.com. Dot org, Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Stomps. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Sam Daly Harris, the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy Healing the Break Between People and Government. And we're talking about a movement about politics and campaign financing and um, money in politics. And you're talking about a group called American Promise. And you just made a statement. Now, this is a bipartisan group. Very. And
2: I uh, want to describe, and what they saw, because they're not that old, was that of all the bills in Congress to overturn Citizens United, and 150 co-sponsors on the various bills, one Republican. So they've taken on meeting with, working with, bringing Republicans on board. And I want to bring a couple of things together with this comment This is an example of one of the groups I work with and the kind of group that really feeds their volunteers. And I want to give you this one example. They have a a monthly conference call. And over the last six months, this have been their conference call guests. They're, they do training too, but they had Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's a congressman from Maryland. And then the next month, they had Congressman Jim McGovern, who's a congressman from Massachusetts. And then the next month, they had Francis Moore lepay who we discussed a little bit earlier. And then the next month, they had Ben Cohen of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, who's a democracy activist. And these last two guests, I want to point out more uh, particularly, their guest a month ago uh, was John Pudner, who was the campaign manager for David Bratt, the candidate who beat Eric Cantor, the House majority leader several years ago. So uh, quite Republican, Republican. And this month, their conference call guest was Nina Turner, who heads up uh, Bernie Sanders organization, Our Revolution. So you have a very to the right Republican, very to the left Democrat, all agreeing on getting money out of politics and co- talking to the groups uh, uh, on the nationwide telephone conference call about how you can be more effective on making it bipartisan uh, and, and bringing the, the two sides together when there's so much agreement on Gun control issues, I don't work on those. I wish I did. On money and politics issues, I do work with groups on that. On even climate change where there's more and more agreement, although politically, not yet.
1: The political will isn't there yet, yeah. but the I, but the support, at mm-hmm. least ideologically, yeah. is yeah. there, but yeah. it's not manifesting. So what you're working with is how people can tap into this. We don't mm-hmm. hear this in no, the regular media. No, no, Whatever we're looking at. Let
2: we- me give you an example. Okay. Uh, Citizens Climate Lobby, another group I work with, uh, they were the main force behind a bipartisan climate solutions caucus in the House of Representatives. And uh, at the election in November 2016, there were six, sorry, 10... Republicans and 10 Democrats on the caucus and after the election four Republicans either retired or lost their seats so it was down to six Republicans and six Democrats after President Trump was inaugurated 24 more Republicans and 24 more Democrats joined the caucus so there're now 30 Republicans and 30 Democrats on the House Climate Solutions Caucus when 3 years ago you couldn't get one Republican to it's join just, anything that says climate in the it's this the one
1: i know i can't remember which one it was but one of these uh committees um that self-appointed them the mm-hmm. self-appointed caucus, committees maybe. caucus all right yeah. that they they wouldn't accept your your enrollment in it unless you brought somebody from across the aisle that's it and, and that, I, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, that was Democrat really... Democrat has to
2: bring a Republican, or a Republican other, has to bring a Democrat. Otherwise,
1: they can't join. No,
2: can't join. Yeah.
1: Now, that's... And so up to 30 and 30. 30, so it, it, it keeps it even. Yes. And yes. you can't even get yes. in the club unless yeah. you bring in... Yes somebody who Uh, is on the other
2: side uh, of the aisle. So let me, if I could give a glimpse of the how. All right. And so this is a, a little excerpt. It's from a New York Times article on Citizens Climate Lobby. And they're talking to a woman. Well, First of all, they say volunteers rehearse short presentations called laser talks. They learn how to frame the climate issue from different perspectives, like an issue of health or economic stability. They never get into arguments about the science, which they know are doomed from the start. They're trained to show good manners, begin meetings by expressing appreciation, listen with an open mind, follow up with thank you letters. Now, this is the part I wanted to read. It can't be lip service, said Ashley Hunt Monterano, a former volunteer who's now on staff. It has to come from a genuine place. For instance, she said, she and her colleagues first met with their congressman Representative Lee Zeldin, a Republican of Long Island, New York, they expressed appreciation for his service in Iraq and the state Senate before mentioning anything about climate change. He interrupted us, she said. He said, I have to say, you guys are not normal. You're smiling. You're saying nice things about me. That's not what people like you do when you come into my office. Since then, the volunteers have met with Zeldin or members of his staff. This is since 2015. They've met with him or his staff 32 times. They understand his interests and passions, and they've helped him advance some of his legislative goals. He was the fifth Republican to join the House Climate Solutions Caucus, the 5th of 30. And these last two paragraphs, if I could just read them, are him speaking, the congressman. The climate lobby is an exceptional group that's pursuing an amazingly productive, substantive way to engage with members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, Congressman Zeldin told me. Countless times I've had people come into my office on an issue, and even if we were on the same page, they would start off the meeting very aggressive and hostile. It was counterproductive, the congressman said. The way we communicate about the issues to achieve clean air and clean water should be Bringing our country together, regardless of party re- registration or uh, ideology, he added, just really is an issue that everyone agrees on more than anything anyone's admitting. There's a communications gap that needs to be overcome, the congressman said. So that's a little, end of quote, that's a little glimpse of how
1: do you start changing the well what I get from that Sam is that in today's climate there is a culture of permission to yell and scream and and resist mm-hmm. you know that that's where mm-hmm. what it is to hold the position mm-hmm. and to yell and scream it out and so forth and so you're looking at you're you're pointing out th- that may not be so effective. Or it might
2: not be for everyone.
1: Or it might not be for everyone. So let me just say, okay, resisting
2: please. is important to stop bad things from happening. It's about to be voted on raising hell.
1: So like the Million Women's March. Absolutely, or, or- but
2: especially as it then uh, address uh, health care and uh, undoing Obamacare. So when people rose up at town hall meetings to say stop, no, as far as I'm concerned, that's an important aspect or example of resistance. Now, it doesn't happen to be my style. In other words, I think I might not be here 40 years later if that's what I did every day. The people who do do that uh, responsibly... I applaud them and I thank them. That doesn't happen to be my style, and so I coach on a more bipartisan transformational piece. Uh, well,
1: Sam, going back to your Bucky quote, is that your piece yeah. is is working with the bipartisan yes. issues that yes. is coming in yes. on on a more grassroots effort of training and and being oh, effective and in a, in a different way. Yes. Yes. But no less effective. Yes. I mean, yes. maybe even in the long run, yeah. run even yeah. more effective and, and or the, more necessary. And let me say
2: this to your listeners, what you're up against as a listener, and it's this. I'm going to tell one or two quick stories if there's time. Um, I was talking to the head of organizing for a group. I'm not going to say which one. It was like from Care, Save the Children, Oxfam, Catholic Relief Services, World Version, that kind of thing. He said we can't have our volunteers write letters to the editor or op-eds because they'll get it wrong and misrepresent the organization protecting your brand. I said, well, yeah, if you give them a kindergarten curriculum and then you ask them to write a letter to the editor, they will get it wrong. But if you give them something richer than that, they won't get it wrong. He said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. We have 15 media staff at head office They do the media. I said, well, sure, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today. But who's working with the Salt Lake Tribune and the Miami Herald?
1: Or the Topeka, whatever. (laughs) Yes,
2: Gazette. We're Congresses. They're not working with them. So the listener who's saying, well, okay, I'm hearing this message that you need to find a group that nurtures you. Some groups say, no, 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 you're going to get it wrong and misrepresent the organization. You need to find a group that's saying, yes, 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 you can be amazing. We're going to train you. We're going to empower you. We're going to inspire you. And um, and then you can have a way forward. And then what
1: I get from what you're saying is that as an individual, to find, um, you know, where uh, they there's so much happening and so much to keep track of. And what what I hear you saying is find that issue that connects with you mm-hmm. emotionally. Yes. Is, is that what you...
2: And... Then find the organization that can empower you with that issue because we still then need the support. Uh, I mean, the other way I say it is rather than kind of doing a- clicktivism, mouse click <laughs> activism on 10 different issues and feeling ineffective on all 10, find the one you just said that really moves you. And if you say, well, five move me, okay, pick one of those that, and be profoundly effective on the one. You can still click away on the other nine, but no matter what, you're still feeling profoundly effective on the one. And the profoundly effective includes, I see myself in a new light. I'm doing things I couldn't envision myself doing before. Uh, I'm taking new territory uh, as a citizen and that 's really I think, what people need to be looking for I,
1: I think that that 's so important that we we feel so disempowered these <laughs> days, so when we find that and we find an organization and find a group with whom we can associate and learn effective <laughs> methods together, <laughs> then it it just lifts us up like it lifts us up it it, it, it heartens us it it makes our heart glad. And then we're not so uh, pessimistic or or beaten down Mm -hmm. about the system Mm -hmm. as a whole. Because we're doing this one thing. We remind ourselves of this is working. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Sam Daly Harris. And he's the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy, Healing the Break Between People and Government. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to the website, civiccourage.com. Dot org civic dot org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Sam Daly-Harris, and I want to remind our listeners how he spells his name, Sam Daly, D-A-L-E-Y hyphen Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, Sam Daly-Harris. And, uh, Sam, we're, we're talking about how we can lift ourselves up from being despair about what's going on in the political realm these days. So do you have any comments on that? Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, um, I'm going to read just an excerpt from Reclaiming Our Democracy. And it's about a woman who said that, in this case, before she joined Citizens Climate Lobby, she was suffering from climate trauma. She would read Bill McKibben's book, Earth, and she would weep at home, and she would weep at work. And then she joined Citizens Climate Lobby, and 18 months later, she's co-leading a workshop on getting relationships with members of Congress and editorial writers. And I want to read what she said. She said, our director, Mark Reynolds, likes to say, we're betting the farm on relationships, I love that. We're betting the farm on relationships. Then he tells us we need to build relationships with members of Congress and editorial writers. Well, most of us CCL volunteers have never done that before. What in the world does a relationship with a member of Congress look like? And how do we connect with an editorial page editor? Some of us have found models for those relationships in other parts of our lives. Gary in Boston uses the model of a work relationship. My relationship model is different. I adore romantic relationships, so I use romance as my model. That first meeting with the editorial writer, it's like a blind date, only you've decided beforehand, you're going to marry this fellow. You're going to be interesting and sweet, not too intense. If it doesn't work with the editor, you're going to marry one of his friends at the paper. Who do you know that talks like this? The (laughs) business editor, the environment writer, city editor, someone at this paper will find you interesting and compelling. It's just a matter of being persistent until you find the right connection. And I'm going to interrupt the reading to say that her city was Richmond, Virginia. Her member of Congress was... Uh, Eric Cantor, the House Majority Leader, and her newspaper was the Richmond Times-Dispatch. She said, I see the relationship with a member of Congress as an arranged marriage. If you live in their district, the member's aide has to meet with you. That's what our congressman's ledge director told us in January. Since then, we've met five times with ledge director. This is several years ago in 2012. We scheduled 45-minute meetings with him He keeps us over an hour. He doesn't want us to leave. Why? Because a good arranged marriage starts out cold and heats up over time. That's different than a love match, which starts out hot and slowly cools down. Uh, One more before the, the actual key paragraph that she states. I see the editorial page writer as a painter. His canvas is the editorial pages. His palette is filled with letters to the editor, op eds, editorials. I'm his muse, model. An assistant. Again, who do you know that talks like this? But it frees you up when you can really express yourself. I want him to fill his canvas with colors that I like, so I'll have my group send three to five letters to the editor whenever the opportunity arises. The more colors I put on his palette, the better chance of having him pick one or two of my favorite ones. And this is her last paragraph, and it's just dazzling. During our conference... I met with 20 Congressional offices. I met with many folks whose view of the world was very different than mine. Going into their offices was hard. I had to let go of a lot of emotional baggage. I could no longer judge them or hold hostility in my heart towards them. I had to let go of my fear of climate change and my fear that they wouldn't listen to me. I had to center myself in love. Releasing fear and centering in love, this is sacred and profound work, end of quote. And you said, lift you up. This woman started at climate trauma, and she ended up at sacred and profound. That's an example of the lifting up. And she got lifted up because she found an organization that put her together in a group that fed them with monthly conference calls with guest speakers and Q&A and grassroots victories, etc., cetera, and really trained them and supported them to kind of get out from their fear and trepidation and out into the world and make a difference.
1: So it was like her whole attitude expanded and and to encompass love rather than fear. It, yeah, rather releasing than coming...
2: fear and centering in love. This is sacred and profound work, and if if your member of Congress is on the other side of the spectrum, and you can use this as a spiritual path,
1: exactly uh, no, fear. That that just reminds me, uh, those people who who might say, "Well, uh, my member of Congress um, is really good on this issue, so I don't need to meet with him or her." Right. Or on the other hand, my member Let's of com- Congress totally disagrees with me on this issue and it's a waste of time. Yeah. So what would you say about those two? I
2: hear this all the time. Which means my my member of Congress is on my side.
1: Yeah. I'm done. I don't need
2: to or I can't work with them. They won't it's useless. Yeah. My thing is you need to work with your member of Congress to move them from wherever they are up what we call the champion scale. If they're opposed you move them from opposed to neutral. If they're neutral, you move them to supporter. Now, most groups say, my member's a co-sponsor of the bill. He supports this, I'm done. No, you want to move supporters to being advocates, to, speak, ah. uh, so there's another to bring level. others on. There's another, you another level. You want advocates up to being leaders. They might be the lead sponsor of the bill or the letter to the chairman of the committee or whatever. And you want to move leaders up to champions. And my definition of champion is different. Most people will say, "Well, uh, any time a Congressperson does anything good, they're a champion." No, no, they might just be a supporter. Mm-hmm. It's good, mm-hmm. or they might be an advocate or mm-hmm. a leader. For me, a champion is someone who's out in front of the, the organization. They're they're like pestering the nonprofit, to move faster. They'll come in and say, I've gotten five of my Republican colleagues and five of my Democrat colleagues to do town hall meetings on overturning Citizens United or climate change or global poverty, and I need your help in getting speakers for those 10 town hall meetings. So that's a member of Congress who's ahead of. So you really want a member of Congress to become a champion
1: so what i get from that too is that your member of congress then s- begins to trust your group mm. to to be mm. Effective, yes, to, to yes. they can call on you, yes. and they know that you're not going to be, you know, yelling and screaming. Or they know that you'll be be responsible.
2: Absolutely, don't forget that quote I read earlier from the Times. She said, "We've met with Congressman Lee Zeldin 32 or his staff thirty two times. There's a lot of trust it's being, being built, built when that kind so of relationship. So don't give up. Persevere. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Persevere Uh, in love, uh in loving perseverance. I have a little
2: short quote that uh, puts a period on this uh, this thought, and this is from a a a newsletter, it's a trade publication on energy and environment in the D.C. area. It's a political trade publication called E&E News. And there was an article on Citizens Climate Lobby and this um, Climate Solutions Caucus with 30 Republicans and 30 Democrats. And one of their volunteers, a volunteer, was quoted this way, Tom Moyer, a CCL volunteer who works with Representative Mia Love. Republican of Utah, said it's impossible to convince anyone of anything if you fundamentally don't like them. Quote, If you walk in thinking they're an idiot and evil, you're done from the start. It doesn't matter how logical your position is, he said. Quote, You have to put yourself in a place where you can find something to respect in them. End of quote. And so it's it starts with Respect, and maybe it's a tougher mountain to climb if your member's been on the other side of the issue than you. You still have to do your research. They've done something that you can thank them for, and start building little by little right. a, a relationship with them.
1: Right? How do how does one find a group? Yeah. Uh, to work with. Yes. Uh And and find. Yeah. Let's say they've found an issue they like. Love, how, yeah. how do they go about finding it? Yeah.
2: Well, we've talked about some. I mean, the ones I work with are the ones that are working very hard to offer this richer curriculum. Uh, And so, results.org on global and domestic poverty is a way to look. CitizensClimateLobby.org on climate change is a place to look. AmericanPromise.net on overturning Citizens United, another place to look. Another group that I work with, uh, the Quaker Lobby, Friends Committee on National Legislation, FCNL.org, has their advocacy teams.
1: And is that, that's about war, and, isn't well, it? their it,
2: particular focus this year... Uh, is reducing the Pentagon budget. The president asked that the Pentagon budget be included, increased by $54 billion, and they're working to reduce the Pentagon budget. The U.S. spends more on its military than the next eight countries combined.
1: I know that there was some sort of, at first, uh, a um, possibility. After the 9-11, there uh-huh. was... Um, legislation passed that allowed us to go to war on when it's terrorism yes, is involved cool. and then there was some sort of legislation that was coming in that was starting to say hey we need to limit that a yes, bit and yes, it didn't go through yes. so
2: that it's called the authorization authorization for the use of military force AUMF and the one that was passed just after 9/11 has been in force rather than closing it and saying, we need a military engagement now authorization and doing a new one. No, the President's Bush and Obama and Trump have been free to use the military based on that 16-year-old authorization Mm -hmm. for the use of military force. So if
1: somebody's interested in that issue well, they might look uh, at friends they uh, could yes uh, their particular
2: focus is reducing the uh, mil- military budget uh-huh. to protect social safety mm-hmm. net programs mm-hmm. they've started 80 chapters in just over 2 years um it's very exciting they had so much interest in uh um It it, after the election, that they sent me on the road to three cities because their organizer couldn't go to all 18 cities right then. And one of the cities I went to, a small college town in New York, a little upstate New York, um, there were 37 in the room. And when it got to who's in, 27 raised their hand and said, we want to do this. It was was astounding. Fabulous,
1: fabulous, Well, I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Sam Daley Harris, and he is the one of the, the founders of Results, Results Educational Fund, and also he works very closely with um, the website civiccourage.org, and that's where you can find out more about his work. Uh, civiccourage.org or you can get there through the New Dimensions website newdimensions.org he's the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy Healing the Break Between People and Government I'm Justine Willis-Toms you're listening to New Dimensions My guest today is Sam Daly Harris, and he's the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy, Healing the Break Between People and Government. And Sam, um, I know you've worked with many groups, and I'd love for you to share, and, and in working with results, you've in years past worked with a group in Atlanta, and I'd love for you to share your experience yes, that.
2: Yeah. Well, this is a story from 30 years ago, and the person speaking is still involved. He happens to be on staff with Citizens Climate Lobby, but this was his time now as a volunteer with results. And his congressman was one of a small number who voted against famine aid for starving Ethiopians. And he said, well, You know, if you're watching a sports team and you're really embarrassed about how badly they play, you're in the stands with a bag over your head, you don't want to be seen rooting for such a group of losers. Well, that's what we felt about our congressman voting against aid for starving Ethiopians and then speaking up about it in Congress. He said, but at the suggestion of results staff, we begin to shift our thinking on our congressman. His name was Pat Swindall. Uh, and there's this prayer that another volunteer had written, Newton Hightower in Houston, Texas. He'd written to his member of Congress, Representative Bill Archer, someone he'd had similar problems with, himself a couple of years earlier. We adapted it, putting Congressman Swindoll's name in, and here's how it went. Thank you, God, and this is from Reclaiming Our Democracy. Thank you, God, for Pat Swindoll. We know he's a good man who wants to do right in the world. We know he struggles with the same problems we do, closing our hearts to those who don't agree with us. There are no thoughts that, and feelings that he's had that we haven't had, and vice versa. We pray for all of us to have compassion for people in our country and far away for rich and poor. We pray that Pat and we will be less frightened of each other. We pray our focus will be more to love and appreciate him and less to change him. Help us remember that sharing love with the world is the highest contribution we can make and will lead to children being fed and the planet surviving. Forgive our righteousness and anger. Open our hearts and minds to find the next expression of love for Pat that he can receive. End of quote. And he was on a conference call once and he read the prayer. and he said, you know, we would read this prayer at our meeting and then we'd say, yeah, right. Fat chance. And then we'd read it again we'd say, Shh, really? And then we'd read it again, and eventually it sunk in. And he said, we started going to these town hall meetings he held. He called them Chat with Pat Sessions. We renamed them Spat with Pat because most people came in with an argument and a bone to pick. And he'd rear up when he'd he'd see them. But we'd come in with a smile and a handshake, and we'd tell him about a program that could save lives for very little money kind of thing. And we started to get more and more connected to him. He said, in the spring of 87, Results launched its microcredit legislation, and we decided we would go in for a meeting with the congressman. The four of us took time off to work to go see him. It was late afternoon, and we must have been a sight sitting in his waiting room with a TV and. VCR, you remember VCRs, Mm. to show him the Grameen Bank video. Earlier in the day, feeling very confident, I told my wife, Sarah, that after Pat agrees to co-sponsor the bill, I'd ask him if we could co-write an op-ed for him to go under his name. I don't know, Stephen, she said. I think you'd be pushing it. But I figured, once he's committed to the bill, what do we have to lose? The four of us piled into a small office, set up the TV and tape. We took a deep breath, and a congressman joined us. Everyone spoke brilliantly in the meeting. As we were showing the video, Pat was sitting on a desk, knees drawn under his chin, staring intently at the screen. We told him about the extraordinary opportunity of the bill and asked him to be a co-sponsor. I'd be delighted to co-sponsor, he said. Sensing we were on a roll, I began to ask about the op-ed. But before the words were even formed in my mouth, the congressman spoke. You know, I think it's important on an issue like this that we try to build support in the public. I have a column that appears in the local paper. I'm thinking maybe you can write a piece about the (laughs) bill and we can run it in my column. Do you think you can do that? I glanced over to my (laughs) wife with a smile so wide it hurt. Pat, I'd be more than happy to do it. I was now ghostwriting for a man who two years earlier voted against aid for starving Ethiopians. That experience changed me. I now see everyone has the potential to do the right thing if given the opportunity. It's refreshing to see people as possibilities rather than as obstacles."
1: Wow. So what I get from that is that 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 group of people went in with a great deal of respect.
2: Over two years.
1: Over two years. They persevered over two years with respect. They asked for what they wanted. They had a great presentation. They prepared.
2: They built a relationship. They
1: built a relationship. These are some of the keys, aren't they?
2: And the key is finding an organization that encourages you, trains you, helps you, See go. that and build relationships and go for moving opponents to neutral and neutral to supporters and supporters. To and advocates. if
1: people, tell me, if people go to the website civiccourage.org. Can, they can, can find they links can,
2: to these other, other groups that groups I coach.
1: That you coach. So yeah. so th- this is a, like a key. If you don't know where to start. Yes. Check these other groups start out. Start here. It yeah. may not, yeah. You may not end up with any no, of those, but it's not. a place to start. And that's yes. what we need. is that kind of beginning. You know, uh, Sam, I'd like to talk about uh, something else as well. Um, This has to do with uh, the media. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't want to admit, but... All media has a bias. You know, they have a point of view Mm -hmm. by the stories that they're choosing, by the way they're presenting it. All media has Mm -hmm. a point of view. And it's important that we know Mm -hmm. the point of view of that media that we are most connected with. Because we may not be hearing the full Mm -hmm. bipartisan uh, view. Because we are so siloed Mm -hmm. in the way that we're looking, viewing our particular issues, if you can help us to understand how we can better uh, tap into the mm-hmm. resources that we have to to understand these issues. Well,
2: I think the first thing you said is important, this piece about understanding the biases in the media and not blindly watching it. But the other piece that I want to bring up is not so much me as just the consumer of media, but me, me, the volunteer, the listener, as being the producer of media, the creator of media. So let me give you an example. Citizens Climate Lobby volunteers had 65 letters to the editor, op-eds, and editorials published in 2010, and in 2016, they had 2,850 Letters, op-eds, and in 2017, they're on track to 4,000. This is where people are, are speaking to the public, in their letter or in their op-ed or in the editorial. They encourage the edit newspaper to write themselves. And when I talk to to volunteers, I always say, "Don't just like get your letter to the editor, to publish, and click your heels and do a little dance, and then you're done." No. Send a copy to your members of Congress. Call the aide to make sure they saw it in the paper. They probably did, but make sure. Post it on social media. And you, whether your issue is overturning Citizens United or your issue is ending global or domestic poverty or your issue is getting money out of politics or your issue is reducing the Pentagon budget, etc., you're speaking up yourself. You're creating the media, not just consuming it.
1: That just reminds me of our good friend, Scoop Nisker. He said, if you don't like the news, go out and make some exactly. of your own. So exactly. uh, there you go. And so what you're talking about is beyond clicks, mm-hmm. beyond signing petitions, mm-hmm. and even beyond writing editorials and and, and learning how to write an mm-hmm. editorial that mm-hmm. would be accepted mm-hmm. and making that mm-hmm. relationship with mm-hmm. that local editor. newspaper and editor yeah. and magazine and so forth. And and so when you t- and then you talk about following up and oh my gosh, then you go, Oh, that's so much, Sam. But but if you if you find that that piece that you're mm-hmm. passionate mm-hmm. about and
2: the community join together, that you're not
1: doing it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're not when when you say all of those things, I just wanna remind our listeners that you're not carrying it all by mm-hmm. yourself no. anymore.
2: No. No. Let me share this quote from 10 years ago. New York Times then columnist Frank Rich wrote, A recent poll found that 24% of Americans believe the country's on the right track. That might mean that 76% believe the country's on the wrong track. Wrong track is a euphemism. We are a people in clinical depression. Americans know that the ideals which once set our nation apart from the world have been vandalized, end of quote. My response to this quote is this. Most nonprofits don't acknowledge the toxicity into which they send their volunteer advocates. Consequently, they don't create a powerful enough structure of support that can be the antidote to that toxicity. Instead, they offer mouse click activism, thin gruel for anyone hungry to make a difference. So I would urge listeners to look at results.org on global and domestic poverty as a group that feeds its volunteers, citizensclimatelobby.org as a group that feeds its volunteers, americanpromise.net on overturning citizens united, and find one. Don't find pick four. One. Yeah. Because and focus.
1: There you go. Make the difference you've dreamed of making. Love the advice. Oh, Sam, we've run out of time. I thank you so much for being with us today. My thrill. I've been here with Sam Daly Harris, and he spells his name Sam and Daly Harris, D-A-L-E-Y, H -h A-R-R-I-S, author of Reclaiming Our Democracy: Healing the Break Between People and Government. And CivicCourage.org will take you where you need to go. Or you can go to NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine willis toms You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3627.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions.